Hey, hey, welcome to The Naked True. I'm just gonna set up a little bit here while I still get uh, accustomed to how this whole thing works. Um, let's see. I'm trying to get to the point where I can make it so that I can have you see what I'm seeing and also read along with me in case you don't have your holy book on hand with you. So hopefully this works. Bear with me, please. I'm pulling up Matthew chapter 9 if you want to um, grab your Bible and prepare while I um, set it up on Twitch also. Because Twitch seems to be tripping to some, like it'll cut the recording short and stuff like that. I call them shenanigans. So um, just to um, be sure, I think I'm going to start backing up with a recording here also. That way um, I can upload those for when that platform decides to fail me if it decides to. So it shouldn't be just a second longer. I'm going to see if I can. Ah, here we go. I'm getting closer. Let's see. Down there. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, it disappeared on me. A little picture within the picture. Okay, there it is. If we can get it to show up and stay, it would be a beautiful thing. Maybe we can put it over here. And okay. I hope that works. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't know. You know, you would think that I'd get better at this having um, done it a time or two before, but I tell you, I'm still getting used to it. Something about it throws me off each time. Um, okay, I think, I think I'm getting there. Let's lock it in place. Okay, that should be fine. And there, that should be fine. Where is the whole zoom thing? So, and maybe because it's recording on Zoom, so I'm just going to proceed with it as it is. Hopefully, um, it'll make sense to, um, okay, so here we'll have video and on there we'll have the, um, the, uh, the words if you want to read along. I'm not figuring out today how. It's, it's it's like it's like right there it wants to appear but I don't know I'm stripping I'm not getting it 
Maybe I should have waited and ate something. Let's see. Okay, well. I'm gonna leave it alone. I'm just go ahead because the show must go on. <laughs> and um, at the very least, we have the the um audio here. So don't let that be enough. Cause for whatever reason, I don't know. I'm not getting it to show up a picture today. And I'm thinking that it has to do with the fact that. Zoom is recording it, so maybe it can only access it at one point or one camera at a time. I don't know. So we're going to proceed with it. And um, if you want, read along with me. And thanks for your patience. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. Um, let's see. Okay, welcome to The Naked Truth. If this is your first time seeing me, you're expecting nudity, you can go to my website. It's hungtgirl.com. Click on the pictures there. They're actually free videos. Um, I update them every week, and they'll appear differently depending on whether you're um, looking on a laptop or PC or your mobile device. Um, You'll get more videos if you check it out on a laptop or PC. And like I said, just click on the videos. You might have to enable the the um, the um, plug in there from Adobe, but it'll still play um, and it's still free. And so you can check that out. You can um, get a subscription, make a donation. Just check out the free stuff if you want. All of the above are very much appreciated. Thank you. And um, you can see what we do here with the Living Water Chapel. If you click those links or click on the Naked Truth page links there, you'll see it there as well. When, and what we do is go over the Gospels of Jesus Christ, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we're going to pick up where we left off with the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter 9. Um, just to pick up where we left off before in chapter 8, um, and just so you know, we focus on the red letters here of Christianity because uh, that's what Jesus brought us, the message Jesus brought to us. So um, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, focus on what Jesus has to say. It's your best way of avoiding contradictions and pitfalls of religion. Uh, so in chapter 8, what happened? Let's see. Jesus performed some miracles, some healings uh, uh, of a leper. That'd be someone who's socially distancing because they're suffering from a disease that's contagious. So, you know, that's not a new concept. Um, and he also controlled the weather to the point where the disciples were afraid they were about to die uh, when they were sailing and Jesus was able to calm the storm. I think an analogy for our lives and how, for how our approach to Jesus should be as far as Christians. So anyway, that's what happened in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick up at chapter 9, as you, you can read along with me here. Uh, so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus, 
seeing their faith said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. So, sorry. I, um, still getting used to this. Even then, so, okay. So you notice there that right off, Jesus was able to perform the healing. And it was just like that, not a problem. And, um, well, but see how the crowd responded to it. So the person is paralyzed and um, not even able to get around like they um, should be able to. As they says, he was brought there on a bed, basically like we'd call a gurney. Excuse me. And um, they brought him to Jesus knowing that Jesus had the power to help him. And at once, some of the scribes say within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus knowing, so they're saying it's blasphemy because Jesus said he forgives them his sins. So that would be like something only God could do. So that's why they're saying it's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? So one, Jesus is saying it's evil for them to think that way. Um, one that the fact that they're passing judgment and focusing on looking for some sort of religious blame that they can assign rather than the fact that the person is um, should can be of good cheer as he says because he's been forgiven the things he did wrong but which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say arise and walk so Jesus is saying which one is those easier to walk the walk and or talk the talk to just say, oh, you're forgiven, but then not actually have any sort of evidence of that forgiveness being present that any objective witness could see. Um, so he's saying which one is easy to just say it or to actually do it. Um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. So um, just like that, they wouldn't answer the question uh, that Jesus asked them about which one is easier to say it or to do it. Um, so to show them that he had power to do it, he went ahead and did it and actually healed the man. And um, right there in front of all of them, um, you know, and again, they're not going to be happy about it though you would think they would be since they call themselves religious. Um, but the people who noticed it marveled, and that just means they're sort of amazed by it all, um, at the power that Jesus had. And um, and you notice that it's the writer they're saying to men, because it's um, not gospel. It's not what Jesus actually said. It's the people, the commentator, the person who's passed the message along. That's what they're saying. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. So that shows us that with just a word, he was able to get uh, one of his disciples, Matthew in this case, to follow him. Um, it didn't take some um, any begging or anything. To me, it points out that some people are um, predestined I, I on their path to follow um, Christianity, and Jesus, Jesus even says to himself, "No one's gonna come. No one comes to Jesus unless God, uh, the Father, uh, draws them." He says that in a, in another gospel, so that lets us know that people have different paths. And I think 
it's Jesus, it's God's sort of script. It's God's plot that God has written out already for all of us to perform in his grand play and the big picture he's painting. Um, the good and the bad, the evil things that happen and the wonderful things that happen, it's all part of his plan, it would seem. Um, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So again, they're doing, uh, looking for fault, which is something that God, Jesus specifically tells us not to do, judge not. It's like a very basic two-letter commandment that Jesus gave, two-word commandment Jesus gave us as Christians. And yet the religious people, just like they nowadays, look spend most of their time looking for fault and what group of people they can exclude and condemn and it's all in a in an effort to elevate some and oppress others something again that jesus is against he says it again and again um so this is what he's dealing with with the religious people when jesus heard that he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick so he's jesus is making it very clear that clear just like now you're not going to call 911 if you're feeling fine if everything's okay you're not going to go to your doctor because for one it takes effort it takes money in the united states if you don't you don't can't even see a doctor but um you're not going to bother with going to a doctor if everything's okay if you're feeling good unless you got some mental issue that makes you hypochondriac and then again then you need a doctor so it's not like then everything's okay then either um, so he's saying, if you're sick, that's who goes to a doctor. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus there is one of the places where Jesus is reflecting in the Old Testament. Um, and he does that in cases where I think, in this case, it's Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where he's saying, where Again, he's using it because it's something they claim to hold as their doctrine of what to live by and how people should, what people should do and how people should be. So he's using that as a reflection point for them where they should know that it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And it also brings up a contradiction where, again, if you're going to try to live by the Old Testament and by the New, then you're um, presented with a conflict there because there it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice meaning those animal sacrifices. Well, then that would mean God changes because if you're living by the Old Testament, you can read throughout the whole book of Leviticus, all the different sorts and throughout the Old Testament, all the different animal sacrifices and blood sacrifices and ritual sacrifices that the God that's said to be God there demands of the people. So um, either God changes because here it says, Jesus is even letting them know that it's their own teaching. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So that lets, um, lets you know either God changes or that's not God. That's not the supreme God. That's not, it's not, if you're Christian, go by what Jesus has to say. Because otherwise, they're contradictions. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus is saying his message is for sinners. It's to save, excuse me. His message is brought forth to save people, not to um, 
seek out people who already think that they're uh, uh, consider themselves righteous, self-righteous, in fact, and don't need any help and they think they're okay spiritually. That's not who Jesus is after. It's people who are uh, tender enough to realize they need help. And that's who doctors go to, the people who need it. That's where it should be focused. So now, um, let's see. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So now um, this lets you know that John the Baptist had disciples and they've come to Jesus and they're wondering um, why are his traditions different than their traditions? And again, this points to how red letter Christianity should be different than other um, so-called Christian faiths that are really nothing more than just religious rituals that people pass down and traditions that don't actually have anything to do with what Jesus actually says that you should be doing as a Christian. Um, so anyway, they are coming to Jesus, asking him that question. They're like, well, why are traditions different, basically? And Jesus said to them, can friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So Jesus is laying it out in a situation that we can understand. He's saying, when you, when you think about a wedding, there's the wedding, there's the bride and her party, and there's the groom and his party. And usually they get together and celebrate separately the, their last days before they're married and separated from their friends, living the married family life and leaving a single bachelor or bachelorette life behind. Um, so he's saying similarly, don't expect the disciples to walk around mourning and sad when they have the power walking right there with them and access to it and seeing the miracles that most of us who call ourselves Christian believers would love to have seen. It'd be all that we need. Even those disciples would say um, all that they would need to affirm their faith, even after seeing all the miracles would be something else like that. So it seems like walking with Jesus would be enough to affirm faiths, but clearly it's not. You'll see as we keep reading. Um, so anyway, um, Noah puts a piece of unshrunk cloth, unshrunk cloth on an old garment, but a patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. So Jesus is talking to us in um, physical terms that we can understand as far as patching up clothing that's become worn over the years or is just as torn that you can um, patch it up with another piece of cloth but make if that cloth isn't pre-shrunk it will make the rip in the clothing even worse so generally if you're going to patch up something you use something that's already been washed because any washing any shrinking is going to do will already be worked out then so similarly he's saying here that you don't put that unshrunk cloth on trying to heal up a patch don't put something like that trying to heal up a breach, um, thinking it's going to help when in fact it'll only make the tear worse. Don't patch it up um, with something that's not tested, not tried. Um, nor do they put new wine in the old wine skins or else the wine skins break, the wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined. But they put new wine in the new wine skins and both are preserved. So what Jesus is referring to here is um, in winemaking, 
there's a process fermentation you take fruit and if you set them aside and something they'll begin to rot then eventually they'll they'll, they'll uh, along with the rotting they'll produce gases we can't see them just like god you can't necessarily see god but he's there um you can't see those gases either but gases are produced while you're fermenting that and eventually the rotten fruit will turn into booze alcohol liquor but at the same time in the process gases will be create will be created and if those gases aren't released then what they're being processed and fermenting in will explode um just by natural course so um jesus is saying in the same sense when they're using wine skins which are basically like a rabbit or a squirrel or a beaver or something like that that's been gutted but the body kept intact so that you could fill it with something like you would stuff a turkey um, you could fill it with those same fruit and ferment booze and make wine in them in the same way. So he's saying that um, if you're going to do that, you can't do that with an old wine skin because it's like leather and it'll burst and ruin the wine and the wine skin. Um, but you can do it, but you can put old wine. And I think the analogy here, you put old wine in old used wineskins. So if it's already done fermenting, then yeah, you can store it in that leathery old wineskin because it'll be fine. Both are already done with their process in life. I think what Jesus is saying here, the analogy for us, is that um, don't try and fit his beliefs, his teachings, his um, gospel into the Old Testament and what it's preaching to you and telling you to do. The Old Testament was uh, showing us a prophecy pointing to Jesus, letting us, leading us up to Jesus, telling us to look to him for the answers and that that's who's going to be coming with our salvation, not to still be looking for answers in it. It's old wine. It's served its purpose then, but the new wine is what we as Christians should be trying to pursue. Um, and in doing that, both will be preserved, recognizing that one was for then and this one's for now. And this, the one that's for now was actually for then too, because like you said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob are going to make it in the kingdom. So um, that lets us know that uh, it was even for then, uh, the Christian part is, and it was for them also. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. So we see here a couple of things happen, happening. Someone has come to him for help and asked for it, and someone else has come to him for help and just helped herself and touched him just because she needed it and her situation was desperate enough that she didn't have truly if she's uh, got this flow of blood she's having to separate herself from the rest of society anyway because you you can read about in the old testament a woman who's bleeding whether it's her period or if she's bleeding then she has to separate herself from society because she's considered unclean excuse me So this woman has separated herself, but she still needs the miracle and needs some help. So she helped herself and reached out and touched Jesus for the help that she needed. Whereas the other person that came to him, as we see here, um, and asked for help for his daughter. 
So let's see how, what kind of response they get. And I think this is letting us know that approach Jesus however you can. Some people will approach him asking him politely because they need help. Some people will reach out and touch it, touch faith as the song says, and because they're desperate and need that help right now and um, don't have time for the niceties. Um, and both are okay. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good to your daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. So that lets you know where the woman's mind was. She was thinking to herself, if she can just touch him, she knows that'll be enough to heal her. Just like the centurion who came to him and knew that all he had to do was say a word and he could get the healing he needed. Here the woman is letting him know if she can just touch the hem of his clothing, she'll be made well and get the miracle she's looking for. And Jesus affirms her faith by letting her know, yeah, it's your faith that did it. And go your way, you're healed. And the woman was healed like right then. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and a noisy crowd wailing, he said to the make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Um, my Bible says they laughed in the scorn. Basically, they were right there. They know the girl's already dead. So they're probably thinking, who does this guy think he is coming in and telling us she's not dead, but sleeping when we were right here with her when she died. So, um, but when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose and the report of this went out into all that land. Um, so, um, a couple of things I think to notice there, and I've said it before in the readings, Jesus sets the example for us, for how we should deal with different things in life. And I think what Jesus is showing us here is take your children's safety very seriously and do all you can to protect them. Because here you see the the person needed help for their child and they've gone to Jesus and um, Jesus put everyone outside um, so as not to interfere the process, I mean, interfere with the process of his actions and his faith doing its thing, putting the doubters outside and um, bringing only in. In other places, it tells us he brought in a couple of disciples and the father and the mother of a child. I think the subtle message Jesus is saying there is when you're looking for spiritual guidance and help for your children, don't just leave them with the people you think are holy and upright stay there with your children if you're really concerned about it then there's a message there you can pick up with them and grow with them and if you don't do that you set your children up for all sorts of horrible abuse and terrible things to happen to them i thank god haven't experienced that but i know for certain many people i know who have male and female black and white who have gone through abuse through just seeking some guidance in a, what they think are holy, righteous people, but who are actually there to take advantage of the least among us, unfortunately. So I think Jesus is setting an example for us there that don't leave your kids alone. You go there with your kids in their pursuit of finding God. However you're going to present God to that child, God willing, it's through true Christianity, things Jesus actually had to say. But whatever journey you're going to send your child on spiritually, care enough, love them enough to protect them along the way on that journey. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. So here you have um, Jesus is being called the Son of Man before. 
usually when he's talking to about himself in the third person, so did I think, so that they can recognize where he's standing in the prophecy and pointed out in the Old Testament verses. And here someone's calling the son of David for that same reason, I believe, because in the Old Testament, there uh, the David here that's being referred to is the King David who's credited with the Psalms. So um, in the prophecies, it was told to that same King David that through his bloodline, a Messiah, the Christ, the Savior would come. So um, the person there who's looking for a miracle is letting him know he knows that that's who he is from those Old Testament prophecies. He's the son of David who was prophesied to come and bring help and salvation to the people. Um, and when he had come into the house, into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? So Jesus has a question for the, for the people who've come to him looking for the miracle. And the question he asked for him, if they believe he's able to do it. So, and we know that in other passages, when the people, the people believe that Jesus was able to do it, they just question whether he was willing to or not. Um, and so here Jesus is asking them, do they think, do they believe? And that's, I guess, the question for us and for our faith as tough as the times become. Um, do we believe? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. So I think... Um, Part of this probably is showing Jesus's humility, not looking for um, the uh, grand notoriety for um, things he's doing, because in his heart, he's doing what his mission was is to do, and then spread the word of salvation. He says this in other places when the disciples ask for him to help their faith and strengthen their faith and um, lets them know that um, the things that they're doing they should be doing what he tells them to do. That's the mission for them. And in doing that, they should be, let that be enough for them to know that they're doing what their duty is to do. Don't look for, um, to be called, just like I've said before, don't call a uh, policeman and firemen, or well, policemen for sure, heroes, um, because they do the things they do. They're being paid to do those things that they do. That's how come when they break those uh, contracts, because that's what it is, a contractual agreement to do certain things to protect and serve, namely, and end up killing people or being silent when their brothers, and I say brothers meaning men and women, do things that harm people and kill people. When they do that, then um, that's breaking that contract for one, and the punishment should be even worse because they've been paid to keep that contract um, and now they've broken it and they've been enforcing that contract on other people when they themselves are breaking it and they should be replaced and not be eligible for unemployment, not be eligible for pensions because uh, they're not keeping the contract that they're supposed to keep to get those benefits. That's how anybody else would be uh, treated seeking any sort of pension and contract. And that's what happens to black officers, by the way, who end up doing things thinking that that blue uh, wall will cover them too. They find out it doesn't when they harm a hair on a white head. They see very quickly, you can Google that and see it yourself, that it's so. 
um, that it's a very different outcome. So that's really what's needed. It's not new legislation. It's applying that same standard to everyone. So then we'll see it in then when um, everyone is treated the same way, whether the victim is black or white and whether the officer is black or white, then we'll see more even outcomes on things. And maybe it takes Zoom to do that, to catch up the justice system, to let you present yourself as the perfect avatar that you think will help you do best in court, whether it be blonde and blue Becky or uh, Brad, or if you think it'll do you good to present yourself just as you are with your dreadlocks and dark skin, if you really think that presenting your avatar looking like that is going to get you the same outcome as looking like Becky for in front of a judge who doesn't know what you look like, but just has the avatar that you presented for social distancing safe, safe just to keep us all safe. If you think that Becky's going to get the same outcome as Jamal with the dreads, I would say think again. But that's exactly what should happen. And then we'll see just how how some people say they don't see color. We'll see if they really don't see color when they let Keisha get off away what they thought was Karen, just because Keisha chose the right avatar. But that's exactly what should happen. Then we get just and fair outcomes all across the board, and we'll see just how unfair the system has actually been stacked all this time against dark-skinned people, um, just in my opinion. And um, so, um, so Jesus is asked the blind people, do they believe he's able to do it? And in just a couple of words, they say, yes, yes, Lord, even. And they said, Lord, recognizing he has the power to do it. And they said, yes, affirming, yeah, we have the faith. And I think their desperation and red readiness, and maybe that's where it takes, what it takes for some of us to come to Jesus and have those moments, those moments of desperation where there's nowhere else to turn to. Um, so maybe that's where that, those points in life come to humble us. Um, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. So just like that, he said, it's their faith that's gonna reward them uh, one way or the other. And their eyes are open and Jesus so clearly they had the faith. And Jesus sternly warned them saying, see that no one knows it. And again, I think that's partly humility, but also partly because it says in other places where Jesus wasn't able to enter certain areas to continue his ministry because the crowds got to be so large that were following him. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees say he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. So um, it doesn't go into it here, but this is what's actually considered the unpardonable sin. Um, and it does go into it. Jesus goes into it further, and, um, or at least the, the explanation, of it, explanation of it goes into it further in another gospel. But um, the fact that they're saying Jesus has an evil spirit and that that's the power he's using to cast out demons and perform exorcisms that's actually what's considered the unforgivable sin, saying blasphemous things against the Holy Spirit that Jesus uh, possessed. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So um, this lets you know, huge crowds are following Jesus. And um, 
his compassion is obvious and he cares about them. And I think that's the point of that passage to let us know that in our walk, Jesus is walking with us and he cares that it gets to be a bit much for us sometimes. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus is saying, basically, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of souls to be saved, but the people actually going out to harvest those souls, reap those souls, draw those souls are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So that's a, another instance where Jesus of, of Jesus giving us what it is we should pray for. And as Christians, one of the things we should pray for is for God to send out more people into the harvest, to gather the harvest. And God willing, that's what we're doing here with this reading. And that actually brings us to the end of this reading. I hope it was a blessing for you. Um, and I, God willing, I hope you'll join me again for indexing sake. As always, I'm going to end this reading here and pick up um, Mark chapter 9 and the next one. Um, so that, um, again, but I'll do it separately. If you want to read along with me, join me again. Um, and God willing, Wednesdays we'll do our John and Luke and Saturday nights just after midnight, early Sunday morning, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation. In the meantime, wear your mask, wash your hands, love your neighbor as yourself, and of course, love the Lord. Thanks again for reading along with me. Take care of yourself. God bless you and peace.